You are now listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Doc, sharing insights through real, honest, and practical ways to improve your communication and relationships. Featuring your hosts, Dr. Pamela Kreiser, Meredith Edwards, and Taylor Polendo. Today, we are going to talk about perceptions in communication. Specifically, we will identify how our perceptions affect us in interaction, and we'll talk about some strategies for managing perceptions through adopting a growth mindset. I want to start by telling a story. When our kids were in elementary school, our household was especially busy, and one of the challenges was keeping our home clean. So we decided to get some help and hire some house cleaners, and they came every other week. And it was great for me. It was a chance to start over. In fact, in preparation for the cleaners, I would make everyone put away their toys, clothes, really everything. And some of the family members would joke that we have to clean before the cleaners come. And that was our house. So that's where the story begins. It was cleaning day, and the cleaners were supposed to arrive around 1 p.m. I had done all of the necessary preparation and forced everyone else to do the necessary preparation. I took the kids outside to play in front of our house so they wouldn't interrupt the cleaners, I think they were around five, seven, and nine at the time. Everything was on track. Well, around 2 p.m., I started to wonder where the cleaners were. They were usually on time, but I debated with myself about calling. No, I thought, don't be that person. They do a great job. Things happen. Around 3 p.m., I was starting to actually get irritated. Yes, I know, it's a first-world problem to be mad about your house cleaner arriving late. But then again, I talked myself out of it and said, don't be that person. Well, around 4 p.m., my neighbor Sue comes over. She was smiling as she approached, and she said, wow, you, Marsha, and Sandy are the best friends ever. I really can't believe how generous you've been on my birthday this year. Seriously, you girls are the best. I wasn't sure what she was talking about. We had already celebrated Sue's birthday a few days before. We had gone out for a salad and a beer. I mean, it was nice to hear that she appreciated us, but this new comment seemed a bit overblown. Sue continued, You know, when I discovered the surprise, I immediately called my husband to thank him. But he said the surprise wasn't from him, and that's when I knew it was from the three of you. I'm confused. The three of us? What surprise was she talking about? Well, right then, I noticed my house cleaners coming out of Sue's house, which is across the street and down a ways. Are you kidding me? But then I realized Sue doesn't have house cleaners. What had actually happened was that Sue was gone for the day celebrating her birthday with her sisters. Sue also accidentally left her front door unlocked. At the same time, my house cleaners got the address mixed up, even though they came to our house regularly. So my cleaners spent the afternoon cleaning her house from top to bottom on her birthday. They even washed and dried all of the linens, remade all the beds. They did everything. Now, upon this realization, I felt a little stuck. Should I mention that we didn't give her that gift? Hmm. I mean, I knew she would probably eventually find out, so I decided to tell her. So I told Sue what happened, and she kept saying, that is so crazy. What are the odds that you will accidentally leave your door open on your birthday and have cleaners accidentally clean your whole house? Well, there are no odds. It was crazy. Now, the reason I bring up this story is to illustrate a few aspects of the interaction and our perceptions. The first thing we notice is that Sue and I each had partial information regarding the context, and therefore we each had differing perceptions based on our partial information. 
Second, notice that Sue's perception of who was responsible for cleaning her house changed multiple times. She kept with the birthday mindset until it was finally invalidated. Now, perception is a fascinating area. Sometimes you and I frame information in a fixed way. We, quote unquote, make up our minds about something. We might even become so loyal to that point of view that we fail to hear and or accept new information. Consequently, if we fail to learn new information and hold on to fixed perceptions, we hold on to them ultimately until they break entirely with new information. Just like the story with my friend Sue, she held the birthday mindset until she could no longer support it with the new information that she was getting. In this example, the new and unfolding information broke the birthday framing. Now, it's normal for us to use perceptual frames. In fact, we can use various strategies to break frames intentionally. One strategy you might have heard before is the concept of reframing. Reframing is when a communicator elects to frame the perceptual stimuli in a different way than it first appeared to them. It is a way of rethinking the frame. The term reframing became popular in the field of social psychology, often used by practitioners in therapy treatments. In fact, some therapists also call it relabeling. In their early research, Waltzlewick and colleagues noted, quote, to reframe then means to change the conceptual and or emotional setting or viewpoint in relation to which a situation is experienced and to place it in another frame which fits the facts of the same concrete situation equally well or even better and thereby changes its entire meaning, unquote. Traditionally, family therapists have used reframing to help clients resolve a myriad of issues. Through reframing, new meaning can be understood and experienced. And through reframing, we can reevaluate an event. Something we once thought was negative can now be evaluated as possibly positive. Now that brings us to a discussion of how optimism plays a role here. In the book, Learned Optimism, Dr. Martin Seligman identifies research and strategies for learning optimism. As noted by the title, he believes you can learn it. Seligman contends that whether you're a pessimist or an optimist depends on how you explain bad events to yourself. Pessimists often personalize bad events, attributing them to permanent and pervasive causes. Yet they ascribe temporary, impersonal, and specific causes to good events. By contrast, optimists externalize adversity's causes and see them as fleeting and specific. They credit good events to personal, permanent, and pervasive causes. According to Seligman, it was your mother and or your teachers who likely had the most influence on your explanatory style. There's lots of research out there on optimism and health. Optimism is often associated with positive health outcomes, such as quicker recovery from surgery and lower rates of cancer, and pessimism is associated with depression, anxiety, and other poor health indicators. Now, a related concept to optimism is the notion of mindset. In her famous book, Mindset, The Psychology of Success, Carol Dweck differentiates those with fixed mindsets versus those who have growth mindsets. According to Dweck, those with fixed mindsets generally believe their abilities are unchangeable, fixed, and were born into them. People with fixed mindsets believe in talent. They believe if they aren't born with an ability, they will never be able to do it. Individuals with fixed mindsets work to avoid situations that are challenging. 
Those with growth mindsets, alternatively, believe their abilities can be strengthened through improvement and work. People with growth mindsets believe they can achieve anything. Individuals with these mindsets thrive in challenging situations. Now, you might be wondering, are we just born this way? Are some people just talented and other people aren't? Well, according to Dweck, she says talent isn't passed down in the genes. It's passed down in the mindset. And this begs an interesting question. Are famous athletes famous because they're talented, or are they talented because of their mindset? Michael Jordan once observed, quote, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And this is why I succeed, unquote. And John Wooden once said, quote, you can make mistakes, but you aren't a failure until you start blaming others for those mistakes. And when you blame others, you're trying to excuse yourself. Now, clearly, Michael Jordan and John Wooden hold the growth mindset as a key to athletic success. So how do we adopt the mindset? How do we learn optimism? How do we change our mindset to a growth mindset? where both Seligman and Dweck suggest that it comes down to how we explain events and interactions in our lives to ourselves. It comes down to developing ourselves actively rather than believing fixed limits about ourselves. But where do we start? Well, one place to start is to use reframing more often. We can use it to foster a more growth mindset. For example, I might reframe a problem in my business as a new challenge to build my business. Or I might reframe a tough conversation with a friend as achieving a new intimacy shared with that friend. And I might reframe a loss as a win if I focus on what I learned from that loss. Well, Meredith and Taylor, we have so much to talk about. So let's get started. I think this is juicy. (laughs) (laughs) Give us the juice, Meredith. Tell us your secrets. It feels so juicy. I don't know. I wrote like three pages of notes this week. Wait, you're finally taking notes on things that I say? (laughs) I've been trying for 10 years. She's learning to be a good student (laughs) after all these years. No! Don't get defensive. Oh, my God. I I literally just ordered this book. Well, I'm it's in my my cart. Okay, I haven't ordered it yet because I'm afraid to buy it because it... But it made me think about fixed versus growth mindset. I don't know if any of you have ever driven, um, like doodled when you were younger and you drew those like 3D boxes, you know, has like the line here and the line at an angle and you can make that 3D box. And I had this thought of like, when you said it's a fixed mindset, there's a frame and it's like, I've made my mind up. And I put that thought in that little image when I was a kid of like doodling those things. I'm like, yeah, I made my mind up. Like I'm, I know who I am, you know, all those things. But then also like stepping back and thinking, oh my gosh, well, what's the difference in a growth mindset? Cause the point of this podcast, the point of what I want in my life is to be growing. So how do I avoid those like childish doodles in my head and become somebody that wants to grow? So it makes me ultimately think of this book. I really want to buy, but I'm afraid to buy, but now I'm going to do it. I want to hear my talk doc, your opinions on this. So you talk about in your research and, and education of fixed versus growth. This author I want to read about, his name is Simon Sinek, and he talks about something called the infinite game, which is finite thinking versus 
infinite thinking. Hmm. And it's sort of like separating like leaders from followers. I think you're going to have to do a podcast on that book. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> I think Taylor and I would support you highly in that. <laughs> this fascinates me a lot, this idea, especially working with people that repeat history a lot. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I've done the same thing over and over again. It's got me here. It's got me there. And then to watch someone move from that just stuck in their ways place into the growth. So this client of mine is going to go to somebody else and I'm secretly brokenhearted because I have two people, they're like my favorite and I don't want them to go, but they have to. One in particular has like decades long addiction. Mm -hmm. And I just called him the other day. He's now about to be a year sober. And he goes, I just want to let you know, I enrolled to become a drug counselor like himself. Like he enrolled himself in an education to help other people. And I was, wow. It brought me back to my little doodle of those little boxes. Somebody that could have so easily just gone like, okay, check my boxes. I, I, I've learned this. I made my mind up. This is how I'm going to do it to totally breaking that open. Yeah. To be honest, I mean, I believe in him, but I was expecting him to stay in the box and he totally cracked it open. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. One thing that I'm thinking about in your story is if you were a drug addict, you might label yourself as a drug addict. Mm -hmm. And then like, that's who you are. So it's like very boxing to put that label on yourself. Yeah. So if we say like, I'm a loser or I'm a drug addict or I'm a this or a that, that's probably makes it even more challenging for this client. Yeah. And now he's going to actually become someone who helps people out of their boxes. Yeah. Ooh, I'm going to call him and tell him that before I leave him. Yeah. So Taylor, what are you thinking about all of this? So I wonder a lot with the topics we discuss here, I tend to go negative and think like, oh, I'm I'm the negative version of all these things I do. I get defensive. I don't take responsibility. I do all these things. But I think ultimately we can't be that all the time. And I think that I fall in the middle of the road a lot of it with a lot of these things. I feel like I'm not an optimist when it comes to the day-to-day. -day. Like you talked about when someone cuts you off on the freeway, you're like, oh, they're in a rush. They're they're going through an emergency or something. I don't know that I'm that gracious, but on the whole, like on the big stuff, I'm very, it's all gonna be okay. Everything's, I'm not normally a worrier or like I really try to not let fear run things. So with big things, um, dealing with like cancer in the family, kind of the larger topics that can be very scary, I normally am like, it's all gonna be fine. But on the day-to-day, -day, I think I totally go more fixed mindset and more pessimistic. So you're like a discerning optimist. Yes. <laughs> I'll accept that. And you're, you're an optimist for the most important things. That sounds better than what I was thinking, so I'll accept that. <laughs> it's reframing. <laughs> slap a fancy Beautiful. label on it. Beautiful. <laughs> That's great. So what are some examples of things you're fixed about day to day? Like what's the micro showing up of that concept? I think it goes back to a lot of what I said previously in defensiveness. I view people through how I expect them to view me. So it's really these kind of lies I've told myself. And I don't know if people actually view myself that way, but I tend to take the worst in what I would voice about myself. So I'll take the worst opinion of myself and then believe my friends will believe that too. Can you, can you reframe that? 
Sure. So an example, maybe um, I think I could be a better friend. I think that I'm not the most kind or thoughtful because I compare myself to really kind and thoughtful friends. And I say, well, they must think I'm an awful friend. They don't, they know, they see what they do. They see what I do. And I behave differently than them because I don't operate like they do. So they must think I'm a bad friend. So you're running complicated calculus in context. You're, yeah. you're calculating it for you and for the other person seeing you and how they see you, right? That's a lot of math. Right. And then that's a lot of intention. So then when they say something and I misunderstand or something, you know, that goes along with like, it fills, it fulfills the prophecy I have about myself, which really comes down to insecurity or identity, things mm -hmm. I'm constantly working on. Who am I? Am I a good friend? You know, it's something I have to constantly tell us. Am I a good wife? Am I a good mom? I constantly check in with myself and I must not really believe myself <laughs> that I'm doing that great of a job. Well, it's a challenge in new roles for sure. Oh yeah. Because when we get into new roles, we have to pretend like we know what we're doing. So when they put that brand new baby in your arms, you don't feel like you're the most skilled mother in the world, right? I remember being terrified, like, how did they let me leave the hospital right now? I didn't, I didn't get a four-year degree in this. I didn't complete very many courses. I took a couple, but like, how are you handing me this life right now? Are you kidding me? My husband used to say when the kids were to all toddlers, all, you know, because they're all two years apart, he used to say, when are their parents going to pick them up? My gosh. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. <laughs> he would say, we can't possibly be grow these people into like adults. They've got to come quickly before they get bigger. We're not going to be able to handle this like in a moment. I Well, a big part of it is being very self-critical. I think we see ourselves on our worst days and not everyone sees that all the time. And I tend to remember those situations so I can let go of a lot of good things because I'll remember these very small moments and, and hold on to them with a lot of criticism. You were talking about um, in a story perception and there's partial information. And then, so you create this, that box again, right? Yeah. So, and what I'm hearing Taylor, what I hear you say is, in your view of yourself as a friend, because I can, it's like you're putting words to something I've tried to make sense in my own head. So I appreciate that you're saying that. <laughs> I perceive friend A, I can think of a friend of mine. You were wonderful people. I'm just thinking of this other friend of mine. You're asking about a friend now? No, I'm thinking of a genuine, of a friend of mine. <laughs> okay. She's, um, can we say people's names on here? Is that, I'll make up <laughs> her name. Um, anyway, I'm thinking of this friend of mine who I perceive as this pure, good friend. And I perceive sometimes that sometimes she might think I'm not as good of a friend because I feel like I don't show up as much as she does, or I don't ask her how she's doing as much as she asks me, or I don't give as good of gifts that she does. She's super thoughtful in her gifts. And I'm just like, here's it's behind my back. I didn't wrap it, but I really care about you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, so you're like a real person and she's like not a real person. You know, she's totally a real person, <laughs> but I see just this, like, I mean, she's, she has imperfections, of course, but she's good. And sometimes I have to check myself and be like, does she think I'm a good friend? I don't know. Is that, make, is that making sense to what you're saying, Taylor? Like those similar? 
I think absolutely. And I try to look at it like, oh, we all have different giftings. So maybe I show up in a different way because I love in a different way. And so I try to reframe it and think I'm not going to love them the same way they're going to love me. I'm completely different. But I do like occasionally start to second guess myself and think maybe I should be more like them. And I guess it's an opportunity for growth. But um... well, what I'm hearing, though, is comparisons. What's killing us here? The comparison seems to be the problem that when I am trying to adopt a growth mindset, it's comparison that puts me into the fixed one. Hmm. That, yeah. that moves me out of that. Okay, I can learn from this, I can grow like I have all this runway ahead of me, versus maybe I'm bad, or maybe I'm inadequate, or maybe I'm not as good as this friend. And, and that goes back to what you're saying earlier, which is let the new information that's presented to you, like let it soak in, right? Mm -hmm. Because I actually, with this exact friend recently, my guy said to her, can you just tell Meredith she's not too much for you? And I was like, don't say that. I have too much. <laughs> and she was like, look, and she's like, you're not too much for me. And it like, I was like, new information. That's new inform. Like allow the new information presented to be the true story. Mm -hmm. is that that corrects my the comparison part of my brain I think a little bit hearing you say that earlier well and that we'll continually take on new information so in a way it doesn't make sense to have fixed mindsets it really doesn't because like you're saying taking on that new information is the whole point and what what the fuel is for growing like if we thought about what you'd have to take in you have to take in new information to be able to grow and when we have the lack of that, then we're not, we just have the one frame. So like you have people that say they've made up their mind about someone. Mm. That's Ooh. to cut off information entirely, right? And say, I've decided who they are. They're fixed in a box. That's that. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's it. That's interesting with your clients because there's people that have made up their minds about your clients. Oh yeah. You're a drug addict. You're a fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And they've lost optimism on that. Mm. which is a terrible thought that someone's lost the positivity that every person is worth having, you know, yeah. that, that every person could be really used to grow and change and become better. And someone who's labeled like that would get cut off from that new information because we've decided about you. Oh, can you think about, if that you've ever felt that on you before, like when someone's decided on you, like I've, I've, I've had that experience where someone's like, you did yeah. this and you're like, <gasps> I was thinking more in like headlines and history. Like it seems the first information we're given, whether it's accurate or not, is really the one we believe, even when new information comes out. I read a whole book mm -hmm. is an incredible book. Lies my doctors mm. hold me. Mm -hmm. And he breaks down all these myths that were a headline or some poor study done. And then he breaks down the truth and, and how they either retracted it or did proper science or whatever it was, but it didn't matter. We still believed these lies because that's what it just became this like common knowledge thing. And I think about that with history, that's really hard to undo what we've been taught our whole lives. I don't really see it when it comes to like big things like that, when it's in, I don't know, a newspaper or a headline, even if it is retracted, 
I don't go and read that retraction. I don't know how many people it touches then, that new information. It means, though, that we have to actively pursue getting that new information. If I passively just say, okay, I got it. I saw the headline. I believe it. No more thinking required. Now I'm actively choosing to not engage. Oh, my God. I love that. I don't know. I have this image of receiving information from the world or something, right? And from the face, maybe they think it's right. But then you get new information. And to be a passive, fixed person, you kind of toss the new info, right? Um, I think so. I think you explain it away. Yeah. If you're a growth-minded person, you're saying you don't just sit back and let the information come to you. You lean into what the new information is telling you and you dissect that. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I want to be like that. I wonder about if there's a correlation between age and these mindsets, right? I, I w- have wondered about that. And maybe it's in Dweck's book, which I have read, but it was been a long time since I've read it. But you, we kind of stereotype elderly as saying they've made up their mind about things and they don't need new information. Hmm. And I wonder if that's actually true. Because I would hope that you could be at an older age and still seeking new information. I feel like the older I get, the more I feel comfortable learning that I don't know everything. So you're going to be a good old person. I can't wait to be an old person, mostly to just sit on a front porch with Meredith in a rocking chair and yell at little children. Yes. Just the craziest things. Not even like that they're bad, but just crazy antics. (laughs) Oh, my God. Why can I picture that moment? It's going to be great. I can't wait. Wow. That's an image. I want to prank. Yes, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Just say old people things that you don't have to take responsibility for. At what point does that start? Is that like 80? I don't know. I'm going to start in my 60s for sure. (laughs) That seems kind of (laughs) young. It's very young, but you don't know how long you've got. You just got to (laughs) enjoy. You got to start soon. I'll start now. (laughs) (laughs) So what else? I wanted to. To get into a little bit of the the area learned optimism mm. and the how you explained explaining bad events, right? Mm-hmm. It made me think a lot about with my clientele, we pull up like areas of what are called like goals or risks, right? Mm-hmm. And a big one there is what's called cognitions, which are your thought processes, which is mm-hmm. basically how do your thoughts become your actions and how do you move through that? And I kind of want to learn a little bit more about how to learn optimism, because mm-hmm. sometimes I think, I don't know how to say this, but if it makes sense, I think I'm a little too optimistic. Mm. I think I need to sometimes let people like rage and not always have like the silver lining, but it doesn't come from like somewhere that's cheap, you know, and that's hard because it's hard to be like, no, 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 I've had hard things too, like without with being that way. So the question is about learning optimism. How do you learn it? How do, you, how do you learn optimism and reframe bad events? You said like, what I think what Mary is referencing when you said we have to explain the events to ourselves, mm-hmm. and that's how we start doing that. That's what this author says is the difference between the optimist and the pessimist. So it's how we explain bad events to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So when something bad happens, if we assign it to 
ourselves or bad things about ourselves, right, then that creates more of a pessimistic point of view. And optimists assign it, they blow things off, actually. Not <laughs> entirely. I'm not saying no responsibility, but they they let a lot of things fall off and say that was a one-time thing, that was a fluke, or that was a mistake I made once that I'm not going to make over and over. And so they're able to create amount of resilience in their optimism because of that. Resilience seems key. Well, so the question is, what do you, what's the learned part of that? And I think it's, yeah. it's this cognitive reframing that you're talking about is the same kind of idea where we have to fight the urge to explain a bad event associated with negative things about self. So even if you perceived it one way, then you could reframe it or rethink it and say, wait, that isn't actually about me or this isn't, doesn't define me. Wait, you're combining like all the elements. And sometimes I have students that will come to me and they'll say, I'm a failure as a student. And I'll say, why do you say that? And they'll say, because I got an F in your first test. And the first thing I'll say to them is one test doesn't define you. Hey, we've all been there. I remember that midterm. <laughs> Never forget. Uh, that's lovely. That's a lovely sentiment. <laughs> But it's true. One relationship doesn't define us. One conversation doesn't define us. And to the extent that we can stop doing that practice and start letting some of those assignments of bad events not go to our core, then I think we can learn optimism. Mm. So, so can one of you tell me that one bad marriage doesn't define me? I think I just did. <laughs> it doesn't define you, Meredith. <laughs> But I don't think it should. I don't think any one thing of any category should. Yeah. Yeah. And that seems really hard with the clientele you're working with because they are defined by whatever put them into the path to meet you. Yeah. I mean, how do you say someone's not something <laughs> when, when they clearly are? I mean, you got to, it's like face your demons and know that, you know, you have downfalls, but don't be fixed or fixated on that piece and then eliminate all other areas of your life. But is that just us being so focused on labels? Like a lot of people like defining themselves by what they do. I am this, I do this, and that makes me who I am. And I've always believed it's, we're not our worst thought. We're not our worst action. We're not what we do. Oh, you sound like Brian Stevenson. <laughs> Says no one is the worst mistake that they've ever made. So the author of the Learned Optimism book, remember, says pessimists personalize bad life events, attributing them to permanent and pervasive causes. Can you say that again? Pessimists often personalize bad events, attributing them to permanent and pervasive causes. In contrast, optimists externalize adversities and see them as fleeting and specific. Hmm. So it's the permanence with which you let that thing define you. I could see you getting really stuck then with that kind of thinking. One of the things I heard many years ago was about Roger Federer, the tennis player, <laughs> that they talked to him about how are you so level-headed when you're losing a big match on a center stage. Like how, how, how can you even handle that? He literally said, I don't think about even the set score. I just think about the point that I'm on. Hmm. And they said that made him invincible and very, very difficult to play like in a tiebreaker because he's not 
oh my gosh, I'm if I lose two more points, I lose the tiebreaker and 10,000 people are watching me. Hmm. Instead, they said he is so clear headed because he's just doing what's in front of him and not worrying about all the rest of the impact. That I think as an athlete is probably incredible because if you miss a shot, you don't think about the last 20 you've missed. You just think about the one you're taking. I like that. And we got to stitch that on a pillow. Yes. It's almost like the fixed mindset is about your ego in the game. And the growth mindset is about how to better yourself every time. You seem like you're much more likely to take another shot with a growth mindset. Oh, yeah. I think so. But I love the fact that you don't have all the baggage because baggage is sort of what we're talking about. It's like bring in all the baggage, all the history, all the past, and you can almost get crowded out of the room that you bring in too much baggage. I've felt like that before. How do you how do you move from that? How do you unlearn that? I feel like I've learned a lot in the way we accept our history and especially by not accepting labels. I think about my history and my husband's history before me and there are things that he would say like he wished maybe had not happened, but if he took away any of that, then it would stop him from being the person he is today. And I, you know, if we took away some of the hurt and the things that he has felt in the past, we would have never been together. Mm -hmm. It was all these circumstances that brought us together where we are in life now that made me ready to be his wife, him ready to be my husband. And I mean, you can apply that to anything in life. Yeah, I like to reframe our history. Like, no, I'm not that awful person or I'm not that one thing I did, that one thing I said. Or I'm not the victim anymore. Or I'm not, yeah, I'm not the, and I'm choosing not to be. And I'm re, I like to rewrite my history because it's really beautiful to bring us to where we are today. Even though other people I've told my like story to, and I remember not liking the response I was getting. Mm. And I was sharing intimate things. And I'm like, you know what? One, they're not worth, they don't get these intimate details tales of my story anymore because they don't understand. But Mm -hmm. I remember feeling kind of like shameful about a story I was really proud of. Mm -hmm. And so I had to reframe it. I was like, you know, it's actually a beautiful story because we wouldn't be where we are today without all the things we had to go through before. Well, and to the author's point of the learned optimism, it's how we explain it to ourselves, not how we explain it to others. Yeah. So we want to differentiate that. Per your story, Taylor, that's great. You've done all the work you need to do. You've gone through and explained it to yourself and figured it out for you. And our tendency to justify things to the outside world or to have them convince them to see it a certain way is kind of like or a hamster wheel mm. that that never you can get off of. It's like I could spend uh, yeah. hours and hours and hours trying to convince people to think something about me when the reality is I don't become an optimist by doing that. I become an optimist by learning to understand and reframe my history, my past, my present. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, you you take all mm-hmm. the power back, especially mm-hmm. if you were a victim of something. You take all the power back in that situation to frame it however mm-hmm. you want it to be framed. That makes me think in the earlier part, you were talking about how a tough conversation can make you feel closer to somebody. Oh, uh, yeah. Or a loss. Right. Well, we can reframe anything. And so then the challenge is, do you and I seek out new information to expand our, our available frames? So we can just do the snap judgment 
and not explore like any other possible frames out there. But one of the exercises I like to do, this is going to be my TC4G, is I love the game of thinking every possible frame that could be operating. Whether that's you're driving on the freeway or whether you're interacting with a friend, you think, okay, they're possibly hungry. They're possibly sleepy. They're possibly mad at me framing it all the different ways. And the reason I love playing that game is it forces to expand the available frames so that I don't get too passively accepting of the first thing I think of. Ooh. It's like a challenge. So you're creating all options of stories so you don't get stuck on making up your mind about a certain somebody. Well, you just have to keep challenging yourself to do to engage in the practice of reframing and say, okay, so what are the, all the possible things going on? And maybe you have to ask some questions to, in order to get those frames. But I like the idea that it's like a picture that we have, and then we can put a different, you know how when you're in the art store and you put a different frame on something and the, it looks totally different, then you put another frame, it looks totally different again. You're like, wow, look at that, try a mat on this and that frame. <laughs> and you keep seeing the different nuances of the picture when you keep reframing. I love that idea because it highlights something new in the picture every time I change the frame. That was that was the example I had when I thought about this was I was sitting with my mom and she pointed out a car and she said, what do you think of that car? I was like, oh, it's ugly and just really big and round and just kind of not an attractive car. And then a few weeks later, she set up a scavenger hunt for me and gave me the car. Oh, and I was no. I thought it was so unfair that she did that, but I it totally reframed. I was like, she said, you know, I know you don't like this car. I'm like, mom, it's a free car. I'm 15. I don't have my license yet. Never in my like wildest dreams would I ever thought you bought me a car. And yeah, it's this old hunk of junk. Oh. <laughs> but it was so like I was like, it, of course I love it. Like the. Re- <laughs> Sitting on the side of the street, yeah, it's not my favorite. But in my in my parking spot with the keys in my hand, that's the coolest thing I've ever received. So that's a case for maybe we should live our lives with the birthday frame. It's like my friend who, when we they cleaned her house accidentally, and what did your cleaner say? I know, like oh, we just went to the wrong house. Did they ever say anything? The owner called me and said, "So we cleaned the wrong house down the street." You're like, yeah, I know shit, Sherlock. <laughs> I gathered that because I saw the homeowner who was pretty happy. It was also low key her birthday. And she said, really? And she said, do you want them to clean your house still? And I said, well, I do, but it's like 5 p.m. I mean, it was a lot later than one. And I think they came and they were like night cleaning. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe key to this, just act like it's your birthday every day. And you'll see things as way more positively. Yeah. Yeah. The birthday frame. The birthday frame. The birthday frame. I like it. So anytime someone smiles at you, you go, they're smiling at me because it's my birthday. (laughs) People let you go ahead. You go, that's right. It's my birthday. Uh, Oh, I love it. Uh, Taylor, what what are you going to take away? I love, I love the reframing. I've been working on this with my fear of learning and uh, over this last year, the kind of box I put myself in. School was so easy because we had tasks and grades and it was... You're damn right you did. (laughs) Thanks to our excellent teacher, (laughs) professor. And we had the best teacher ever. (laughs) 
She was the best. Yes. Uh, so this last year, I've been really trying to be in the growth mindset and not get comfortable and, and find a joy in learning again. Again, why I'm so excited to be with you ladies on this journey. But I think reframing is a big part of that. And I'm excited to incorporate that. What about you, Mayor? I, I think I genuinely view myself as an optimistic person. I, I feel like I'm optimistic. Totally. And then, but then this process has made me think, well, what, how am I explaining those negative or hurtful or bad events to myself though? I think I'm optimistic to the world around me. Definitely. I'm optimistic with their people, but I don't know that I'm necessarily optimistic to myself, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. So my growth challenge this week is when I, I hear the voice that starts like beating myself up or critiques not constructively my own head. I want to try to readjust the way I'm talking to myself upstairs because I think inevitably if I talk that poorly to myself, it's going to end up coming out to somebody else one day. You know, mm. I, I, I want to treat anything I need to treat my my head space with a little bit more um not grace is the right word but just yeah the I want to explain bad events or even my own mistakes you know or my own slip-ups or if I didn't do something good enough in a way that's an opportunity to grow as long as I choose to lean into that growth I don't want to be passive about it so am I making sense yeah yeah so that's what I'm going to try to do. There's always work to be done, right? Mm-hmm. So let's recap today's episode. It seems that we all agree we can learn optimism and foster growth mindsets. We've talked about this idea that comparison, though, holds us back from this idea and that taking on new information seems to be the fuel to get us into the growth mindset. The challenge for us is to think about ways we can foster a growth mindset from the people we interact with to the messages we ingest to those cognitions that we can restructure as we figure out ways to explain things to ourselves. We can use reframing to foster a growth mindset. And I love the idea that we can help people out of their boxes. Now, as always, now is a time for you to think about your trading comfort for growth challenge. How will you trade comfort for growth? What will be the thing you'll work on this week? Hmm. So one of the things I wanted to end with was this concept that if you're listening to this podcast, you inherently are interested in learning. And we're on board with you. And if that translates into a growth mindset, even better. So with that, thank you for joining us at Asking for a Friend. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Our email is hello at afafpodcast.com. This show is for educational purposes only and is copyrighted. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Thanks for listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Talk.